we have systems in place that will protect us in those times so that we don't have a Katrina incident again, ever, ever again. Yeah, because there was so much violence after Katrina. There was a lot of police violence.
know me. I'm not just one of your little toys. You don't own me. Don't say I can't play with other boys. Welcome to the Weekly Review. This is Roman. It's December! We made it to December, everybody. Congratulations. It's December 1st, 2017. Uh, December 1st is also World AIDS Day, so... (sighs) (sighs) Um, Offering a lot of gratitude to all the activists and all the folks out there who did everything in their power to... To get people's attention, people who weren't paying attention, to get the government to do something, to get the CDC to do something. Um, thinking about ACT UP, 
and all the folks involved with that. And I, I feel the words I say are not going to do justice. Just wanting to, it's still, ugh, it's complicated. And wanting to offer gratitude for all the folks who did everything in their power to bring this, to, to make sure that something happened, to make sure that people were being taken care of. And the government didn't do anything. I'm wanting to be positive here and uh, not totally talk shit about the Reagan administration, although I do feel like there are murderers. And while thousands of people were dying, they did not do anything. So... I don't want to focus on them, though. I don't want to focus on the folks who didn't do anything at all. I'd rather focus on the people who, many who are still around, who did everything in their power. There's a lot of direct actions, a lot of really incredible actions that happened in the in the 80s and the early 90s, and there are folks today who are also doing a lot of amazing work. So... And for the folks out there who are living with HIV, and also I feel like it's still so stigmatized, which is really problematic, especially in the in the gay community. If you if you happen to check out any gay dating apps or sites, or it's there's it's really disgusting how many folks are um, the language that some folks will use, and or the idea that some folks will not um, decide to date or hook up with anyone who is positive and. If folks were maybe more educated, if there was more education in this country and less stigmatization, then I don't think that would be an issue. It's just so frustrating, especially, I think, coming from younger folks. It's it's really disheartening, actually, and it makes me sad. There's also PrEP, which is um, a medicine that folks can take, which is shown to be, I think, up to 99% effective in preventing HIV. So there's a lot of... There's a lot of... There's been a lot of progress. And it's been done by the people, I want to say, also. It's been by done by the folks in the community. It hasn't been the state that's been helping people. It's the folks in the community who have pushed forward for more education and more medicine to to help people. So I'm wanting to offer gratitude and also just remembrance from for those that we've lost and also just appreciation for those who have worked really hard and for those who are here <sighs> and just recognizing it's one of the the many there's many things to be outraged in the world about there's many and one is you know lack of of adequate healthcare and also lack of sex education and a lot of things that are that the some folks seem to, it's, uh, speaking with a very heavy heart here. <sighs> so I wanted to open up the show, play some music today from folks that we've, from folks who have had uh, HIV and AIDS. And so opened up with Queen, of course, with another one, Bites the Dust. And I'd like to dedicate that to all the, the men in positions of power who are being taken down. Uh, there should be some more. The, the list should be ongoing. It's just the start of this, I, I hope. So another one bites the dust to all the, the men in positions of power who abuse their authority. Another one down. May there be many more. I was also thinking of playing Bicycle Race, but I should say and. And maybe we'll play that later in the show. I like bicycles, so that's I'm a bit biased. Um, however, I will say... 
another one bites the dust is just a just a classic. It's good to good to get started with. And after that was Claus Know Me with you know, with Claus's version of You Don't Own Me, which is pretty incredible. Ah. So on the show uh, at about twelve thirty will be Zarina Zabriskie, and Zarina has been on the show a couple times before, and Zarina will be talking about Russian propaganda and fake news, and oh, there's a lot. And Zarina's been doing a lot of research on this for years, um, and is very well educated on this subject, so very much looking forward to hearing and learning about this even more. So that'll be coming up around 12.30. Before then, uh, I'll be... Sp- talking about some other news. There's a lot. And of course, we don't get to everything. But I'll, you know, do my best to see what we can get to. I'm also going to get comfortable because why not? Who says I have to be uncomfortable? That's a thing. I had a a dream last night that uh, I was going to go see a movie and then I ran into a comedian who's maybe like not a real comedian, but like a an amalgamation of like different comedians. And they asked me if I wanted to perform and I haven't performed in a while. I was like, sure. And it was going to be in a few hours. And I was like, cool. And they said, okay, you've got three to five minutes, which isn't a lot of time. And I was also like, okay, cool. And then they said, all right, um, we just need you to be like kind of upbeat. And I was like, okay, well, I'm in a good mood. So that should help. Although for folks who have seen me do comedy in the last few years, I'm definitely much more, uh, maybe a bit of a downer. And I can find humor in the situation sometimes. And also I can make people uncomfortable. I recognize that. But in my, in my dream, though, I was like, oh, I'm feeling really good today. Yeah, I can, I can be positive. And then as the show is going to start, and we're standing around, it was me and the person who asked me, who's not a real person, and then another comedian who's also no one I could identify. And they're like, okay, who wants to go first? I'm like, I'll do it, I just don't want to go first. And the other person was like, I don't want to go first. So I was like, ugh. I'm like, well, just warning you, when I go first sometimes, I'm kind of a... I don't want to say I'm a downer. I feel like I, I do tell the truth, although I'm not someone... There's definitely some performers who really like get the crowd going and laughing and do a lot of crowd work, and everyone's like, yeah! And I'm kind of like, ugh, the world's terrible, what do we do? So in my in my dream, I was like, all right, fine, I'll go first. And I was thinking about it in my head what I should say. And I was honestly thinking, oh, yeah, I'll be positive because I'm feeling good and I'm feeling happy. And then I thought of this joke. And I don't remember the whole joke, although I can tell you the the um, summary of it. It was really one line. I'm like, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to go on stage. I'm going to say, Don Henley is a rapist. I'm going to drop the mic and then walk off stage. And then say, you know, you'll you'll find out about this soon. So, uh, that that this is the kind of things I dream about my uh, fledgling comedy career. Okay, and there's been a lot of stories about Don Henley for years, so that's going to come out soon. And I there's like stuff I read about, and I'm like, ugh, it's it's going to come out. So, so the dude was right when talking about how he really hates the Eagles in the in the Big Lebowski. Just sharing that with everybody. And for the folks who are somehow surprised about all the, the Me Too stuff, remember, this is like a fraction, the people who are speaking out is like a fraction, especially if you think about like all over, you know, for the amount of t- over time, there are plenty of people who are, it's not safe for them to speak out, it might not be the right time, um, it might not be, doing it online might not be the best venue for folks to do that. There's a lot of, there's, I think what we're hearing is like maybe a fraction of a fraction of a fraction. And there are the folks who are no longer with us, there's the folks who are incarcerated. I mean, it's, it's kind of shocking to me that there are some folks who are surprised by this because for, for a lot of us, it's pretty common knowledge. So I am just wanting to offer my support to the folks who are speaking out. (sighs) Okay. Now that I've started the show on a really up note, how can we continue this? 
Let's see. How about, well, I won't totally get into this, but maybe I will. It was the first, I had a few articles open on my computer. I want to be transparent here. And like, okay, I'm going to try to get to these before Zarina comes in. And, you know, we'll see how the, the segue is. And initially, the thing when I first think about Russia, I think about, oh, how, you know, the idea of the promise of theoretically, you know, how communism could have, if done correctly, you know, if done correctly, how that could have been. And then I also think about anti-Semitism and homophobia in Russia, which would make me, and transphobia, which would make it really difficult for me to live there. And I think about my ancestors who were in Russia, and then they left, and uh, it was not safe and uh, for them. And um, yeah, anyway, so that's what I think about. So the first article that came up was from the LGBTQ Nation, and FIFA warned, and that's FIFA of the football soccer for folks who... Yeah, that kind of thing. Uh, FIFA warns gay couples not to hold hands during the 2018 World Cup. So, of course, the homophobia is up, way up in Russia. Homophobic hate crimes are up in Russia and Chechnya, certainly. There's reports of concentration camps in Chechnya for, for queer folks. It's fucking horrific. So, that's one thing I think about, too. In addition to the trolls and all that, I think about the homophobia, the rampant homophobia there, and how it's it's not safe for folks. And I um, last year, I interviewed a trans activist from St. Petersburg who was visiting the States. And I was very, I was really, um, I was really inspired um, by the work that, that he's been doing there. And uh, it's just, it's homophobia. It's still another thing. And then of course it also goes back to world AIDS day and how there was a spike in, in homophobia with that as well with the, uh, just, ugh, ugh. I'll read a little bit about this, and then I'll get to another up- happy story. Just kidding. No, I'll get to some happy stories, maybe. So FIFA's anti-discrimination advisors have issued a warning to members of the LGBTQ community planning on attending the 2018 World Cup in Russia. The Football Against Racism in Europe, F-A-R-E, network will produce a guide spelling out threats to be prepared for by those who wish to attend the Associated Press reports. The guide will advise gay people to be cautious in any place which is not seen to be welcoming to the LGBT community, FAIR Executive Director Piara Power said. If you have gay fans walking down the street holding hands, they will face danger. Um, Will they face danger in doing so? That depends on which city they are in and the time of day. The guide will also include some detailed explanations of, for example, the actual situation of the LGBT community in Russia, Power added. It is not a crime to be gay, but there is a law against promotion of homosexuality to minors, which is just fucking ridiculous. Issues relating to the LGBT community are not part of the public discourse. Gay people have a place in Russia which is quite hidden and underground. There's also an anti-gay propaganda law in the country, often used to crack down on LGBTQ demonstrations and events. The 2014 Winter Olympics held in Russia was the target of ongoing international boycotts and protests thanks to the country's severe stance on LGBTQ rights. The Russian government has also come under fire for not doing enough to stop the reported slaughter of LGBTQ people happening in Chechnya, a federal subject of the countries. (sighs) So, in my dream world... Okay, which would be pretty awesome. Everyone at this football match would be holding all these. I don't really necessarily believe in the idea of like same sex and opposite sex because I think gender is fluid, etc. However, if everyone you know was like same sex couples all holding hands and making out in the stands, and then if all the football players were also making out instead of playing soccer, and I love soccer. However, that would be a pretty incredible game. I that would be a nice thing to do. Okay. 
Next up, <laughs> theweek.com has an article, Want to Stop Sexual Abuse in the Workplace? Unionize. And this was written by Jeff Spross. Since the Harvey Weinstein scandal broke last month, torrents of women have come forward with credible charges of sexual harassment, bringing down veteran journalists, big-name directors, and powerful politicians across the country. And I'm going to add, how about the fucking president? And how about Roy Moore? Can they, those folks just be removed, too? Okay. <sighs> but this necessary reckoning has also relied on newsworthiness. The headlines blare, and the offending man is forced to retreat. That model can cut down a Weinstein, but it is unlikely to work against, say, a restaurant supervisor who's guilty of the same behavior. So what about all of the female workers being harassed by men with power over them, but not enough power to be a juicy target for broad public outrage? For those women, a more, and I'm also just going to say that also met, you know, like, I don't want to be like the hashtag not all, but like, it's also not just women who are harassed. I also want to like put that out there. Okay. So maybe I'll just change it to say, for those people, a more old-fashioned solution may be in order, unions and labor organizing. The intensely hierarchical nature of American capitalism extends up and down the wealth and income ladder. Indeed, it gets worse for the lower rungs. Poor and working-class Americans put up with far fewer benefits, far less leave, lower wages, more chaotic schedules, more safety violations, and a host of other indignities. These workers have to get by in an economic environment where they're treated like disposable widgets. Needless to say, being treated like a disposable widget extends to sexual predation, predation by customers and coworkers, as well as by supervisors. A 2014 investigation found that two-thirds of women working in the restaurant industry reported sexual harassment by management, 78% reported harassment from coworkers, and 80% reported it from customers. In Chicago, the Hospitality Workers Union recently surveyed its members and discovered that 58% of hotel workers and 77% of casino workers reported ca uh, sexual harassment by a guest. Ugh. Overwhelming majorities of women don't report these offenses thanks to harsh and often male-dominated workplace cultures that treat sexual harassment as just a fact of life. Many of these official tallies probably understate the problem. A 2016 analysis by the Equal Opportunity Commission concluded that as many as 85% of women report sexual harassment at work. And the problem seems to be most intense for women in low-wage jobs in industries like service and agriculture. Harassment occurs at all levels of the economy precisely because it's bound up with economic hierarchy. Women, and sometimes men, are targeted because they're dependent on someone else, be it a boss or customer, for an income, a job, a promotion, a career path, etc. Women in low-wage work often face retaliation for trying to fight back, not merely the loss of a career, but the loss of a viable income of any form. We need to confront the workplace hierarchy directly. That means unions and labor organizing. It means demands for more democratic workplaces and established institutions and practices for dealing with sexual harassment. Many companies already have human resource departments and labor movements can and should force the creation of more. But even these can wind up focusing more on the business's bottom line than the interests of owners. All of these demands must be backed by workers' ability to threaten protests, work stoppages, and strikes. Sarah Leonard recently laid out in the New York Times how agricultural workers managed to establish the Fair Food Program after a massive labor fight with fast food and companies. The Florida-based coalition of Emokali workers fought back against rampant harassment on agricultural farms by organizing and, ins and assist insisting that a swift system for dealing with complaints and an independent body to oversee them be built into that labor agreement. By all counts, it seems to have worked. 
It's a problem we have eliminated. Now we're com- now yeah. It's 12.24, and I'm already uh, having trouble reading. We'll see where this goes. It's a problem we have eliminated. Now women speak out. Lupe Gonzalo, a tomato picker in the Imokali fields, told Public Radio International. But they did it by organizing as workers and by ultimately threatening the bottom line of both the agricultural operations and the fast food restaurants higher up in the food chain. Going forward, national labor battles like Fight for 15 movement need to become the front lines in combating workplace sexual harassment as well. Of course, to serve its role in that fight, the labor movement will also have to clean its own house. The two biggest unions in America, the AFL-CIO and SEIU, which I am a member, have both suffered a string of high-profile resignations and departures from prominent officials who are accused of sexual harassment. According to a recent report by Bloomberg's Josh uh, Idelson, the AFL-CIO also largely ignored a previous report by an an outside consulting group that found reports of rampant sexual harassment among the union staff. Given how many female workers there are in the service and fast food industries, they shouldn't hesitate to demand that their own labor organizers shape up. If there's one thing the history of labor's struggle makes clear, it's that no one can be left behind. One worker that can be demeaned and underpaid can be used by employers to undercut other workers elsewhere. For many American women, their biggest tool in fighting sexual harassment will be the solidarity of their fellow workers. Ah, so again, you can find that article in The Week, and that's uh, at theweek.com, and it was written by Jeff Spross. Okay, 12.25. Let's get to another article. Why not? This is from Democracy Now! Graduate students plan nationwide walkouts against GOP assault on post-secondary education. And this is, I guess, a po- I mean, it's... Uh, I I feel frustrated that the positive news stories are when people take action against something negative that's happening. That's kind of where we're at, though. So I'm grateful that people are taking action and speaking out. So this came out on November 29th. Uh, more than 40 graduate students, student walkouts are planned across the country today. And this was on the 29th, so that was on Wednesday, um, to, to protest a measure tucked into the budget bill that passed the House earlier this month that amounts to a pay cut of thousands of dollars for graduate students by reclassifying their tuition waivers as taxable income, which is so fucked up. Opponents say the move could diminish the number of students who will even consider graduate school and hurt the chances of finishing uh, for current students. And they have an interview with Jenna Freudenberg, who is a fourth-year graduate student in astronomy at Ohio State, an organizer with the Save Graduate Education Movement. And I'm just going to read a little bit of what Jenna shares. Uh, she says, or they, I haven't talked to them. I don't know their preferred their pronoun. Jenna says, so the particular provision in the House bill that concerns graduate students the most is this provision that would reclassify our tuition waivers and tuition reductions as taxable income. The way that graduate education, especially for those of us pursuing PhDs, has proceeded in this country for many years is that we provide research and teaching services as part of our work as graduate students. In exchange for that, we receive usually quite modest stipends and we receive tuition waivers because universities recognize it is not economical for students to go into debt or to be unable to support themselves while they complete their PhDs. And uh, further on, uh, Jenna says, this is the, the, uh, the particular provision that they're most, there's a provision they're most concerned about and it's one of the, num- the number of troubling provisions in both the House and Senate versions of the bill that, ta- that target higher education. For example, under one of the versions of the bill, uh, 
grad students would no longer be able to deduct uh, their student loan interest payments from taxes, and the lifetime learning credit is going to be eliminated. And uh, the state and local tax deductions are going to be eliminated, which are a major way that states are incentivized to provide funding for their public higher education systems. So it's a, an assault on higher education, and it's something that grad students in particular are finding very concerning. You can read the full interview at democracynow.org. And coming up next, we'll be speaking with uh, Zarina Zabriskie. So I am going to put on, um, how about some Sylvester? And we'll be back in a little bit. So stay tuned.
Hello, and welcome back to the Weekly Review. I am joined here by Zarina Zabriski and Olga Tomchin. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for having us. Yeah. Thanks, Roman. Yeah. So I'm very much here to, to, to listen and to learn, as our listeners are as well. Um, I know Zarina, you've been on the show a couple times before and have educated us about the Russian propaganda and a lot of what ha- has happened there. And, and, and is, eh, had a lot of coffee this morning <laughs> and is happening there. So if you'd like to get started, if either of you would like to get started um, in speaking about this, please yeah, that's terrific. So um, let me briefly introduce Olga Tomchin, um, who is a human rights lawyer and immigration lawyer and uh, founder of the group Anti-Trump Soviet Immigrants, uh, a, a thriving community of anti-Trumpers with a former Soviet Union background. And um, uh, she's wonderful. And she's going to talk a little bit about why we're doing this and how it all got started. Great. Yeah, I'm, I'm happy to help. Thank you. Uh, thank you for introducing me, Zarina. So yeah, so basically, uh, after when the election happened a year ago, uh, I was kind of at a loss of what, what I could do next. I'd been fighting deportations for a while, and especially focusing on immigration prisons and abuses against queer and trans folks in immigration prisons. And I realized that like things were going to get just so much worse and kind of needed a concrete project. And I realized I'd been doing this immigrant organizing for years, but just with every other immigrant community than my own. Mm -hmm. And I myself am a Soviet Jewish refugee, and I came as a young child. So uh, I realized that, you know, there are all these calls to collect your community, collect your community. Yes. And it was was my turn. So I made made a Facebook group, added the five cool Soviets that I knew. Yeah. And now we have 4,500 members wow. all over the country. Wow. We have like a dozen local chapters. And we've been doing like really, really cool building of political analysis based on our own shared, you know, totalitarian history and our cultural trauma. Yes. And kind of, especially in this current political moment, you know, we ran away from this like we have experienced this yep. so we know yeah, you know yeah. so we we a lot of this is like eerily familiar yes so the the jews will not replace us stuff you yep. know like all, all of this is just so eerily familiar so we were kind of seeing seeing the ways that we had something unique to offer to this country in terms of our knowledge of right. the situation so uh, having having zarina uh, be part of the group and be an active member uh we realized that something that we we as a community really have to offer is our knowledge of what it means to be lied to and yes. brainwashed yes. and and have the experience of being on the receiving end of propaganda and so uh, i think i think a lot of times uh, soviet immigrants have like a certain cynicism about us that comes from these experiences mm-hmm. so uh zarina and i we we started with a pilot uh pilot workshop uh, within our own group to see see like uh, how how educating the public about you know how propaganda works how to spot it how to protect yourself from it to see if there was there was like a desire for that and an audience and it, it was super successful our pilot so now we're taking it outside of the Soviet immigrant community to the broader broader American population and you're part of that so thank Great. you for having us yeah thank you for being here 
Yeah, yeah thank very you, Olga. Yeah. That was a great introduction. Yeah. And so today, basically, we are starting it. It is um, like the first day. We're just coming back from the Lowell High School, which is a fantastic, one of the best uh, high schools in the country and definitely in the city. And we did a very successful talk there. The students were very alert and were getting really good reviews. Um, and uh, now we're doing the radio, and I know there is a lot of interest. Thank you guys for that. Uh, the pilot that we did for our closed group was uh, formatted specifically for the Soviet immigrants who are already uh, aware of some of the tactics, so at least were introduced at a gentle age uh, to the methods of propaganda. Uh, this is a different format, and we're going to, write, uh, to run it in different venues throughout the city, throughout the Bay Area and uh, we are planning to bring it nationwide actually I'm talking to a few people in different cities including Los Angeles Seattle and New York and probably more uh, so so far you can uh, go to my page Zarina Zabriski on Facebook um, and we have a page a Russian propaganda workshop and it uh, has all the scheduled events so far we have about five mm -hmm. uh, there is um, one event next week in San Rafael um, it also will be filmed um, and uh, um, we're planning to do a little video as well and um, in Oakland, we have an event in uh, Octopus Literary Salon, okay. which is very accessible right next to uh, Bart Station. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you know that. And um, uh, that's on December 16th. Great. Uh, we have San Francisco event in January, on January 25th at Alley Cat Bookstore, which is wonderful. Oh, yeah. yeah. And uh, and next week in San Rafael, it's Rebound Bookstore, which is also a wonderful venue. Mm -hmm. of all your book lovers. Um, so there will be more events added. We're talking to Berkeley, several locations. Now there's a great interest. Um, so these are logistics. Yes. And um, now uh, to the content. Um, this is kind of an intro. And I know that we will have podcasts and people will be listening to us. Yes. Uh, so this is just to get you started and give you some taste of what's coming uh, today, because I'm hoping to keep the radio more like a chat. Yes. With questions yes. and answers rather than the presentation. But I can assure you that I have three hours of slides <laughs> <laughs> and visuals with all kind of meaty, juicy propaganda stuff with horrible pictures of Putin, Trump, oh. and oh. things not so obvious. You know, yeah. obviously, one thing that I want to say right away, a lot of people, educated people, intelligent people, um, uh, get a little offended when they hear that we are going to teach them about propaganda, because they, um, obviously, most people can spot something when there is a Putin uh, riding a bear. Yeah. Unless you're a three-year-old, you understand that it's a piece of propaganda. Yeah. We will mention that just for fun, mm -hmm. but generally we're not speaking about that. Um, the reason I'm speaking about that in the first place, I'm not a propagandist, I'm not a cyber war analyst, as someone called me. <laughs> I'm a writer. I yeah. write short stories, novels, poems, so forth. But 
when I was getting my degree in literature um, in uh, former Leningrad State University, which now is St. Petersburg State University, we were forced to take a class which was called Combat Propaganda. And I huh. talked about it before, and I've been writing about it for the last two years, not because I want to or not because mm-hmm. I liked it. I found yeah. it the most boring mm-hmm. class ever, uh, apart from the Communist Party history. And I slept... I, would, I don't mean to interrupt you, but I personally would find that interesting, since they don't <laughs> teach that here in the states roman i can assure you would not and that's why i know you fair enough you know good enough to know that yeah. you want i mean that was the most if you like suffered from insomnia yes it was a good <laughs> outside of that no okay yeah but uh th- because that was propaganda as well they was mm-hmm. trying to brainwash you into buying the state views mm-hmm. which at the point when i was in school wasn't working anymore yes. anyway yes 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 yeah, I mean there are different ways of looking at it. But yeah. let's uh, we're not going to go into the history of communist party right now <laughs> because that will take us on the whole other detour. But with propaganda, that's how I got introduced to it. We had to write pamphlets, and I know I've been saying it uh, a lot, yeah. be- but it, it's just such a catchy phrase. I personally, at the age of nineteen, had to write pamphlets: "American soldiers surrender, <laughs> you are surrounded." I yeah to to get my degree, my master's degree wow. in literature, and finish my uh, research work in William Blake's Songs of Innocence and Experience, <laughs> I had also, on a compulsory basis, collect potatoes, write American Soldier, You're, surrender, you're Surrounded, huh. and um, uh, learn the uh, uh, history of Communist Party. So, you see, there was no choice. If yes. I wanted to get this degree, I had to take it. For my, my dad to get his math degree, he had to also learn, the, he also had to present on the history of the Communist Party. Yeah, we huh. all had to learn the history of the Communist Party, but only chosen had to study propaganda. Yes. That's why these days it's actually interesting. Um, some Russians, actually, or former Russians, immigrants or people from there, um, are questioning whether such course existed. I did some research on the web, and there is a lot of Russian-speaking people who are saying, oh, you guys are not saying the truth. There were no such course, or there was no such department at the Ooh. university. I can very much assure you that it was. <laughs> I found proof on it um, on the web. There are actually not very many, but there are some articles written by people. And one of the biggest proof, and this is like a catch. Okay, that school that I went to is one of the oldest, one of two oldest school mm-hmm. in the in Russia, Moscow and Leningrad, former and now Saint Petersburg University. Mine was found by Peter the First. Wow. Yeah, uh, I went to philological department, and it was alma mater to Putin. Everybody knows who Putin is. Uh. He went to the law faculty, which was a walking distance from my faculty. Uh-huh. Uh, Sechin, Igor Sechin, who is the uh, right-hand man, the second most important person in Russia. Uh-huh. He's in charge of Rosneft. Uh, he went to my faculty, uh, oh. philological department, and studied Spanish and Portuguese. So he speaks several languages. He went to the same uh, military department that I did years before me, but it didn't change very much, I can assure you. Uh, then um, Dmitry Kisilov, who is known as the number one TV man and spin doctor mm-hmm. and Kremlin's voice, um, who promised to turn America into the nuclear ashes and also suggested that the hearts of the gay people should be burned and buried uh. into the ground uh, in the case that they perish. 
this lovely person went to the same philological department that is Scandinavian languages, and it was a small department. They're all older than me, but again, not much changed. Um, there was another person who actually was about the same um, grade. I think he was just a couple of years uh, uh, before me there, and he actually crashed on the plane from the way from Syria to Ukraine with the military choir. Wow. <laughs> and yeah, that, that person became the Minister of Culture and was a very high um, position, at a very high position in the Kremlin as well. So he went to the English department, the same department that I went. Um, and as I was telling the school children today, it wasn't just all these old people who were you know, about to kick it. There, uh, these days, they still have the courses. Um, the latest I was able to found were dated 2007. They were still writing the same pamphlets, American soldiers, you surrendered. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, these are trolls. And many of you listeners, I, I believe, uh, would have heard about the uh, troll factories in St. Petersburg, Olgina mm-hmm. uh, or Savushkina Street. Uh, so these people are mostly graduates of philological department, the same school, uh. same department that produces the same propagandists. So from the heart of the kitchen of yes. propaganda to your ears, I deliver my imperfect narrative of propaganda. Wow. (laughs) Yeah. Well, actually, it is not that exciting. I find a lot of other subjects way more exciting than that. But at the moment, I think it's very important for us to understand what they do. Yes. Yeah. And I think you, you would hope that your studies would never be so relevant. (laughs) <laughs> I could never imagine it. I slept through the course. I'm telling you, it was on Mondays. I was asleep. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah. Well, I think, I mean, just growing up in this country, it's just like there's the propaganda here as well that I think folks like through advertising and through media oh, yeah. that like a lot of people and even in schools, you know, the, the history in quotation marks mm-hmm. that were taught in, in itself is propaganda as well. Yeah, I think it, though it's important. I think this is something that we see a lot on the left in the U.S. is that we're so used to, you know, thinking of the U.S. as the empire. And it's it's this interesting, almost like American exceptionalism, where it's so U.S. centric here that a lot of times mm-hmm. people don't realize how much worse it can get, you know, like that it can get so much dramatically worse and so much faster. So I had someone, for example, an American tell me that, you know, the New York Times is the same level of propaganda as Russia today. And I'm like, you don't even know what you're talking about <laughs> like that so it's important to it's important to remember that like it's a little spectrum yeah. and the spectrum can get real really extreme yeah. uh exactly because i actually had an experience of working for the american mass media uh, i wasn't working in a capacity of a journalist at the time but i ran a cbs news bureau in moscow as a business manager for a year and a half and so I had the chance to see how the news are being done and how they put on the air and yes. what goes on there and what doesn't. And I would fly back to the New York bureau and to London. And uh, while I didn't take the decision, I had a perfect opportunity to find out how the decisions are made. And I can tell you, as a person who saw both very closely, yes. that this is a completely different level mm-hmm. of um, sophistication, if you will, and also centralization. Yeah. Uh, the uh, propaganda that you're talking about um, is um, rather it's a commercial-driven mechanism. It's really capitalist 
capitalism at work. Yeah. Uh, so what goes on the air is what sells yes. here. Yes. So they would, for example, run forever the story about some nanny who murdered uh, a child, God forbid, you know, mm -hmm. uh, but it was going on and on and on and nobody would um, show anything of significance that was going on in local bureaus, you know, uh, all the uh, journalists in Moscow or in Middle East would complain that their important stories are yes. uh, being stopped and not getting on the air. Yeah. And this trash was, you know, going on. But uh, nothing like this uh, is even of um, a question uh, for the systemized propaganda machine of the Kremlin. I mean, there's hierarchy um, and there is um, uh, the, the, the rules and instructions. Some of them are written, some of them are not. A, a lot of them are actually not written because people are very careful there. But some of them are. And quite recently, uh, there was um, a person, uh, a whistleblower, um, and his name was Dmitry Skarabagutov, Skarabutov, yeah, and he was... Russian names aren't easy for us either. Yeah, <laughs> well, all well, we know, he's a whistleblower from a Russian state TV channel, yes. and he revealed a lot of things of how the shows were run, mm -hmm. and there's a magazine, The Insider. I didn't find any English translations existing on the web, yes. so I'm actually translating right now some of what the whistleblowers have to say and soon we'll publish an article uh, with quite an interesting revelation of how it's done. Mm -hmm. uh, for example, they had um, uh, a phrase uh, that was uh, la later used just as an abbreviation ND, which in Russian is NEDAYOM, which means we will not give or not allowed, and then there will be a list every time before they go on air. It would be like here, Roman. Pam will give you a piece of paper mm -hmm. and there will be we, we're not allowed talk about Trump, oh, no. Putin, no. Lazarina Zabriskie on the air, no. uh, Ukraine. And uh, yeah, it goes, I have the uh. do copies of the documents. I'll put uh. it in the article. Uh. Yeah, so that is the level. And it's just like one little thing, one of many things yes. that is going yeah. on. So, uh, so it's just uh, important for context to... to when you know that so that we don't we because uh, that that's one of the things that they push for is uh to have us be like well in the u.s we have this so it's all the same i mean it's like how trump was like okay putin's killed some people but like you know it's not like we're angels you know it's that kind of thing of making sure that we don't minimize you know we mm -hmm. we, we don't minimize by maintaining that level of perspective yeah what what is really different is there there is a system there's a profession called political technologist it doesn't exist here the oh. concept the notion doesn't exist here but there are many political technologists there and that's what we were educated to be and that's what many of my classmates became I see. Uh, people who would construct the reality they're myth makers yes and they know psychology they know literature they speak many languages they mm. use um cultural um, uh, structures and models and their knowledge of anthropology mm -hmm. and psychology, first of all, to construct this very sellable, very tempting uh, uh, models that uh, affect audience on a physiological level 
because there is a way to affect the brain through the rhythm, through the music, on television, through the color. Uh, and all of these are applied to the design of the shows. So it's not just something randomly ran or randomly said, yeah. like here. It's, it's, these are engineered narratives, engineered reality that doesn't exist. I see. Wow. Yeah. So it's, um, I, I just finished reading this absolutely amazing book that I really recommend for those who want to know more about it. And mm -hmm. I will be quoting more out of this book and probably write a short summary or a review because I was really affected by it. And I read a lot of books on the subject recently. It's by Arkady Ostrovsky and it's called The Invention of Russia. Mm. And it really takes the history of mass media and propaganda along with the Kremlin from before Putin came to power mm. and until now, until I like see. recent 2016. And he is really good at showing how this whole um, model, how this machine was created and put together as yes. an effort, how all the wheels are working, how it goes back ages like back to the 19th century mm. some models are actually borrowed from the tsar propaganda machine wow. it's going as far back as ivan the terrible because Ugh. they already were using some way of brainwashing you know religion yes. for example yes. you, heavy use of russian orthodox uh, church yeah and then how uh, ideology became the cornerstone of that and communists mainly, you know, the history of Communist Party, as we uh, have mentioned. But later when the communist was removed, they had to come with something else. Mm -hmm. And they came with the surrogate of ideology because ideology itself blowed up. There is no ideology in today's Russia, actually. If you look closely at it, and if you read Ostrovsky, he confirms that, and that is my belief. Ideology became substituted by their... Uh, personal lust for power and enrichment from a few in the power, Putin and oligarchs. And uh, they, of course, can't bring it up just like that. It's way too cynical, even at the level of cynicism that exists right now in the post-Soviet uh, space. Mm -hmm. uh, however, they needed some kind of surrogate and they were looking for different outlets. They didn't find it right away, but eventually they came back to the same very model that totalitarian states keep coming back and back. And that's the national idea. Yes. And it brings us to the right, and it brings us to Dugin. And I believe we have mentioned Dugin before in our conversations here on Mutiny. Yes. And I certainly wrote a lot, and I will be writing more about it, because it's kind of ideology and the lack of ideology at the same time. The best way to describe it is simulacrum, and we talked about that, uh, is this facade of ideas, of the national idea. Mm -hmm. But when you scratch the facade, you see really scary abyss. There's nothing behind it. Mm. So a certain kind of nihilism in a certain way. 
Oh, nihilism is a very simplistic mm-hmm. idea. Nineteenth yeah. century, you know, Turgenev is, uh, or even well, I wouldn't say that Nietzsche is simplistic idea, but this is a different level of sophistication. This is uh, machination rather mm-hmm. than sophistication. So it's very difficult to talk about Dugenism or Dugen. One interesting thing to mention here is that alt-right uh, groups yeah. and movements in the United States and new Nazis party here and in the West are very much inspired by Duginism and Dugin. Mm -hmm. And this is also a Mm. part of the uh, bigger attempt of the cyber war that is carried out by the Kremlin because supporting the opposition groups um, in the West Mm -hmm. is part of the the whole campaign. They A, need to create an external enemy, so to give the Russian people this confrontation, this way of feeling better and superior, and also bring up the militant mood in them. On the other hand, uh, that is creating schisms and division here in the West, and that's their external policy goal. So you could see how this complex machine and um, the whole concept uh, is in so many ways, well, not exactly superior, but different from a somewhat simplistic Western idea of selling us Choose space to capitalism. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I mean, and, and it's it is really interesting. A lot of people don't realize all the deep connections. So, for example, you know Richard Spencer, who we all know the the Nazi dude. <sighs> I don't know if you know that his wife is Russian and mm. she is the English translator for Dugan. Like Did she not is know the that. yeah. Fun oh. fact: the trans the, the translator into English of Dugan's writings. Or, you know, that David Duke lived in Russia for a long time. I not know that either. Five years? For, for five years. Yes. And is a friend of Dugan. Yeah. Oh. Or, you know, like the, I refuse to learn his name, the traditional worker, traditionalist worker. Matthew, Matthew, Matthew Hainbaum. That oh, he's yeah. randomly, uh, very, uh, very devoutly Russian Orthodox. Exactly. Like, like, there's all of these, like, super weird, bizarre yeah. connections that make very I, little, like, like, the coincidences are very bizarre. There's much more than this. You take any old right leader here and you find the connection I actually made this experiment after all these lovely characters visited us in Berkeley and I've encountered them live (laughs) yeah Roman and I and we were there we saw this beautiful people and so I followed pretty much every one of them and boom it doesn't take a long time it probably takes some Russian knowledge uh, but not necessarily before you find the connection between every single leader I actually have an article on Medium on that and it goes on and on and on because I had to go through everyone oh yes yes I remember (laughs) yeah yeah. that was a very long article Yes, yes, because I went like, here's like Identity Europa, here's the Russian connection, David Duke, Russian connection, yeah. Richard Spence. Yeah. Uh, yeah, like yeah. One degree of separation. Like this wow. isn't like some conspiracy thinking. Oh, yeah, this yeah. is like literally oh, no, no. direct. They admit to it openly. You yeah. don't have to come up with yeah. this. The quotes of Matthew Hainbaum with love confessions to Putin, uh, wow. Richard Spencer love confessions to Putin, they are uh, all getting together somewhere. Actually, it was a funny story when in Budapest, uh, which is, you know, unfortunately, Hungary is known as a very fascist part, uh, country. And I was there, and it is true. I mean, I experienced it myself. Mm-hmm. And even 
Hungarian authorities um, forbid th these people to convene in Budapest, wow. and Richard Spencer was put in prison oh. for a couple of days and sent back. Dukin <laughs> wasn't allowed to speak. This is how bad wow. it is. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Uh, I have a question that's kind of so I'm just thinking about, and I know there's, there might not be logic to some of these folks in the way, and they're thinking, looking back to World War II and how the Russians, def, you know, fought against the Nazis. How can, I mean, and I get that there's like American, there's always, there's always been like a presence in America of fascism and Nazi sympathies in this country as well. I'm just curious about the folks in Russia who... I mean, that's a great fucking question. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I take that. I'm totally yeah. prepared to answer that. Yeah. Uh, and uh, actually, if you read uh, either Arkady Ostrovsky or Peter Pomerantsev, uh, they also have a very good information on that. But basically, it goes back to Duganism or to ideology yeah. of the Kremlin having no ideology. It goes both left and right. It doesn't have any beliefs it doesn't have any convictions uh, it's it to say it's cynical is to say nothing it's devoid of any ethical um, standards or norms and it's devoid of basically any idea it's whatever works I see it's not see that's why I'm saying it's not nihilism it's mm -hmm. something beyond nihilism because nihilism already has this built-in passion to mm -hmm. negate right this is not a negation this is just emptiness this is a simulacra so whatever works um if if the alt-right or neo-nazi are going to side up with putin they will take them and they do take them because there are this yearly convention in st petersburg when the nazis of all countries are gathering in the city where i was born that was besieged by the neo-nazi yeah. where my personal ancestors starved to death you know all of them and where people hate fascism yeah. but nevertheless the fascists are there gathering and having their um meeting discussing their neo-nazi views they're very anti-semitic they're racist they're misogynist they're anything you can think of neo-nazi they're right there and they're empowered and supported financially mm -hmm. and logistically and ideologically by the by the kremlin machine on the other hand, they will support the Communist Party of America and the communists on the right, uh, right here. And communists they, on the right? On the well, I'm sorry, on, okay. on the left. Like yeah. The whole, well, if no, there would nothing be, surprises me these days, however. <laughs> no, no. If there know. would be communists on the right, they would be supporting them. I haven't gotcha. heard of them, but again, nothing <laughs> would. Yeah. So they would. They do support communists, obviously, and they have a long history of supporting communists. You know, of course, the KGB is known. Of running programs where they would invest money into the movements in Latin America or in Africa, mm -hmm. in Europe, anywhere around the world, and of course in America. So that's why um, they, uh, it's a complicated issue because I personally have met and worked with people from Refuse Fascism here, mm -hmm. and the people I met are lovely, and mm -hmm. they were doing a lot to confront the fascists yes. who came to Berkeley. Yes. And I have a lot of respect for that. Yes. And I've personally seen them being very brave in physical yes. confrontation and Same. putting all that time. And I have tons of respect for them. Yes. On the other hand, where you look at the origin of the movement and the way they are supported yes. and the way they feel about Russia is a little different. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think it's I think it's the, the 
the thing that's important to understand and that I think gets lost in American leftist spaces, you couldn't have multiple bad actors, you know, that there's not just one empire, that the Russian empire counts, you know, Russian imperialism counts Mm -hmm. that and that like just because someone is, you know, is a block to U.S. imperialism does not mean that they're good or that they have good intentions. Mm -hmm. So it's about the ability to see the nuance and complexity of situations and that like being careful to not be played, you know? I think exactly. that's a that's a key lesson for all of us is for everything, ask, am I being played? Mm-hmm. Like, exactly. and why? Like, why, like, is the Kremlin playing me and why? You know, because it's not with good intentions. Mm-hmm. That, that's exactly right. Because if they could, they would be playing us here. Yeah. In fact, they're probably thinking of how to play our group <laughs> I mean, of 4,000 people. They, it's yeah. an asset for them. I mean, they already are. And I've, I've seen reports that all like a lot of the net neutrality comments, like everyone, the majority of people are for net neutrality. However, apparently they, the FCC said they received a lot of comments saying that they are opposed to it and these all came from trolls Yeah, think were, yeah. you know, Russian trolls. Yeah, of course, because controlling the internet is one of the most critical tools yeah. for yeah. them. And I think, so uh, another thing that I wanted to say in answer to your question about, you know, Russians buying into fascism. And I think another important thing that, that's relevant to our context is the way that, you know, violent racism and violent anti-Semitism have always been present in Eastern Europe. Yep. And, you yes. know, are, you know, I'm I'm a Jewish refugee, you know, like like this is this is very this has always been relevant. Yes. So um and I that is also, I think offers a lot of explanation of why we see all of a sudden the importation into the U.S. of a very European kind of Mm anti-Semitism. You know, uh, I've seen a lot of people, including a lot of American Jews, be very confused about the whole Jews will not replace us. They're like, kind of like, where is this coming from? And they don't, they, I think there's, there's a lack of understanding of how for, you know, for like Nazi anti-Semitism and Eastern European anti-Semitism, it's not like standard American racism of seeing people as like subhuman. Mm-hmm. It's about literally seeing us, like seeing Jews as demonic supernatural forces. And so, uh, you know, when you see the in- the international building of Richard Spencer and crew with with the Eastern Europeans, with with the Russians and the fascists, that's that's how this stuff starts showing up Mm -hmm. so even for me you know like i'm 29 but even in when i was a child and this as the soviet union was falling apart i grew up in uh, in i was born in minsk in belarus Mm -hmm. there are posters that popped up from our own like neo-fascist weird monarchist group uh, called pamits which means like memory that said like jews get out you know like jews get out or we'll get you out and there were like rumors like oh on this day there will be pogroms and the jews will be killed so like i was sent off to hide at my grandparents like like dacha like the their like country place specifically because of that so this is like not ancient history this is like i'm young and this is my life yes so so i think it's it's important to see the way that the i think the one way that the right wing has done a great job is through doing this kind of like international building together and i think one way that the left has really failed is that we're not looking outside of the u.s you Mm -hmm. know that we're kind of like where did this come from this is crazy instead of being like how are resistant movement resistance movements elsewhere dealing with this kind of like very similar shit yeah that's wow that's really thank you for for sharing that that's a lot and yeah my my grandparents two of my grandparents are from russia like 
Russian Jews as well. So like a little bit further back and then also just recognizing how it's, yeah, it's still, it's still there. The anti-Semitism is and still there. It, it doesn't apply just to Jewish minority. It mm-hmm. applies to pretty much any minority yes. because Russia is a very homogeneous place. Yes. Or it used to be, although there are actually, in fact, a lot of minorities, but they are just not ingrained. They are not um, uh, embraced uh, by by the by the ideology. Mm-hmm. The ideology or a part, again, of ideology that is being promoted by the Kremlin propaganda machine is the greatness of empire, of the ethno-state. But if they will take a state, not ethno-state, they will go for that as well. Because Putin himself, interestingly, is not an anti-Semite. Putin has tons of Jewish friends. He grew up with Jewish people. Can I speak to his Jewish friends? (laughs) Like, I mean... No, you you don't want to. His Jewish friends are oligarchs and it doesn't matter whether they Jewish or not, they're yeah. murderous people. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's more just I'm just ashamed. Like, you ca- you ashamed can't of. go by this demographic. No. I mean, they, they really, just like um, I think as Jared Trump, they, they are not really uh, well, Trump is a racist, but Putin is not. Huh. Interestingly, he de- that's the thing that which is really hard to catch. It's very bland. They are not anti anything. They're not, aren't they homophobic though? With, uh, like, all the anti-gay not laws? really. Actually, this is an interesting question in the article that is forthcoming. Uh, I will review that. There's a lot of LGBT uh, representatives running the TV huh. uh, at the top management level. Wow. And they are just embracing their ideology of the state for oh. the money or for the lack oh. of morals or ethics. Yeah, they're wow. just like, and it's not, you see, that's the thing that is critical to understand. Yeah on this level. And it's not just their ideology, it's even their personal well-being and uh, wealth or or, or everyday life. For example, uh, there are these project complexes, basically, all over Russia. There were buildings that uh, were constructed by Khrushchev, and they're called Khrushchevki. They're the shoe box apartments that are really tiny and very hard to live in and with low ceilings. They're pretty horrible. And so there's a talk or, or, or legislation that being discussed now of destructing these buildings. But a lot of people have bought them and live there and if they're going to lose these apartments, they will be pretty much without the place to live or will lose their property. Mm-hmm. So w- when this discussion was going on, a lot of the people on the TV, presenters, producers, broadcasters who own this apartment would be completely silenced to either silenced on that or just wouldn't speak. Nobody tells them to shut up. They just will not speak up because they're either afraid to lose their job or understand there's this double mentality there, double speak, double think thing, that what applies to me personally on a personal level, whether I'm LGBT or I own a small apartment or I'm Jewish or I'm Tartar, it's one thing, it's my own thing. But then there is this general uh, layer of what's going on with the country and that's my entire different life. It's very hard for an American yeah, I to I think understand. it's important to remember the extreme trauma of Stalinism that we still carry the like intergenerational trauma of Stalinism, you know, when in in the like uh, in our Soviet groups and like community online, like we spend a lot of time processing, you know, our own personal traumas, like cultural and historical traumas, and you know the the fact that you know so many of us like 
really not that far, 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 far before in our families, you know, have like survived genocide or mass killings and things like that. And, you know, Stalin ruled for decades. And so in order to survive under totalitarianism, you really need to be able to practice, you know, denial and, you know, kind of splitting and uh, dissociating and, uh, you, you know, living under, to- under totalitarianism, especially like murderous totalitarianism, yeah. uh, it requires you to be constantly gaslit yes. all the time yeah. and just like accept it and, you know, just like move forward. You have, you can't, you can't look inside too much. You can't introspect too much or else you're not going to survive. Yeah. So in those those kind of lessons, those kind of coping mechanisms really get play out on uh familial level and an interpersonal level and keep getting replicated and we've never we've never had a truth and reconciliation commission illustration yeah we've never we've never had anything like that you know so i I think it's important to see the way the way that like it really really keeps you know stalin's gifts on our uh psyches keep giving in those kind of ways And, you know, and, and much in the same way when the purges were happening, when, like, you know, the the starvation of Ukraine was happening in the 30s, you know, like, there were a lot of ethnic Ukrainians carrying that out. You know, like, yeah. in, in all all of these things, there, there's always been, you know, pe- people from those communities who are involved in that. And mm-hmm. that's, in, in a way, you know, like, you're, you're living among both, like, the survivors and the executioners yes. always, you know? Yes, so, yes. so I think that's a key part of the the Soviet experience that's important to understand Mm. and how it plays out now. Uh, Yeah, I think it gives us a really broad background uh, and better uh, foundation for understanding the whole uh, propaganda work on the Russian psyche Mm -hmm. and uh, the internal propaganda. But I want to get back Mm -hmm. to our propaganda uh, that is being developed and designed specifically for the Americans. Yes. And again, this is just an introductional talk. The presentation that we are going to do uh, later um, in the venues, in the bookstores, and on the video, will go more into the methods and goals, uh, point by point. This is just to give you a sense of how much it is there to look at and understand and feel. It's a very complex subject, as you can see. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I think speaking of fascism and communism is a very good way to take us to the next step. Yeah. Because um, this is a connection to do again and Duganism because one of his theories the uh, fourth political theory is called uh, list three great ideologies of the modern age fascism which supposedly um, died according to uh, Dugan at the early age in the cradle communists that died of decrepit age you know just collapsed and then uh, liberalism and that's where it gets really interesting because the fashion doesn't exist communism doesn't exist now we have liberalism and that's what they target and that's what Dugan Putin um, choose as their target number one as their enemy and guess who is behind the liberalism it's the United States is the European Union it's the decadent West mm-hmm. So um, th- 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 that's where their effort, their propaganda effort is. 
And um, Dugin writes about it. And when you follow the flow of the Russian propaganda on television, you will see that the whole effort is to show that liberalism or neoliberalism, as they call it, or democracy mm -hmm. cannot exist, that it's not sustainable, that it is not in the human nature yeah. to experience or to want freedom that uh, the traditional values, what they call, or the Russian Orthodox value, the Russian national idea is really the misogyny, the oppression, yeah. uh, the uh, dominance of a tyrant, yes. really, and the uh, authoritarian, authoritarian, totalitarian power mm -hmm. is what is intrinsic mm -hmm. to human nature. Yeah. And this is the like the conceptual thing to understand. Yeah. This because if we go into the details and I will go into that. I have mm -hmm. tons of examples of methods and strategies. Uh, you can get lost easily as you could see it's um, easy to go on a yes. tangent. Yes. But I like to like stick to it and yes. really cut to the chase, cut to the core. Absolutely. Yeah, and I don't mean to cut you off. I'm just gonna let's take maybe a bit of a break. Oh, yeah. And then we can uh, digest uh, that a little digest bit. Digest it a little bit, and then we'll, I'm just gonna play one yeah. song, and then we'll be back uh, in perfect. a little bit. So, perfect. So next up is uh, Gil Scott Heron with "The Revolution Will Not Be Televised." <laughs> That's a good one. be able to stay home, brother. You will not be able to plug in, turn on, and cop out. You will not be able to lose yourself on stag and skip out for beer during commercials because the revolution will not be televised. The revolution will not be televised. The revolution will not be brought to you by Xerox in four parts without commercial interruptions. The revolution will not show you pictures of Nixon blowing a bugle and leading a charge by John Mitchell, General Abrams, and Spiro Agnew to eat hog moths confiscated from a Harlem sanctuary. The revolution will not be televised. The revolution will not be brought to you by the shape of a war theater and will not star Natalie Woods and Steve McQueen or Bullwinkle and Julia. The revolution will not give your mouth sex appeal. The revolution will not get rid of the nub. The revolution will not make you look five pounds thinner because the revolution will not be televised, brother. There will be no pictures of you and Willie Mae pushing that shopping cart down the block on the dead run or trying to slide that color TV into a stolen ambulance. NBC will not be able to predict the winner at 8.32 on the court from 29 districts. The revolution will not be televised. There will be no pictures of pigs shooting down brothers on the instant replay. There will be no pictures of pigs shooting down brothers on the instant replay. There will be no pictures of Whitney Young being run out of Harlem on the rail with a brand new process. There will be no slow motion or still life of Roy Wilkins strolling through Watts in a red, black, and green liberation jumpsuit that he has been saving for just the proper occasion. Green Acres, Beverly Hillbillies, and Hooterville Junction will no longer be so damn relevant, and women will not care if Dick finally got down with Jane on search for tomorrow, because black people will be in the street looking for a brighter day. The revolution will not be televised. There will be no highlights on the 11 o'clock news and no pictures of Harry R. Woman Liberationist and Jackie Onassis blowing her nose. The theme song will not be written by Jim Webb or Francis Scott Key, nor sung by Glenn Campbell, Tom Jones, Johnny Cash, Engelbert Humperdinck, or The Rare Earth. The revolution will not be televised. 
The revolution will not be right back after a message about a white tornado, white lightning, or white people. You will not have to worry about a dove in your bedroom, the tiger in your tank, or the giant in your toilet bowl. The revolution will not go better with coke. The revolution will not fight germs that may cause bad breath. The revolution will put you in the driver's seat. The revolution will not be televised, will not be televised, will not be televised, will not be televised. The revolution will be no rerun, brothers. The revolution will be live. All right. Welcome back to the Weekly Review. We have a lot to talk about. So, And also, I want to encourage folks to continue listening. We'll also be going um, very possibly into the next uh, hour after 2 p.m. Uh, for Women's Magazine. So please do stay tuned. We have a lot to talk about here uh, with Zarina and Olga. Thank you both again so much for being here. And Thank also, you. we have a phone lines that are open. So if folks have any uh, comments or questions, please do call in. We're at 415-550-0511. Again, it's uh, 415-550-0511. So welcome back. And yes, let's continue. Well, so now, after some refreshments and uh, digesting all the indigestible Duganism stuff, um, let's uh, bring it back to America a little bit. It's funny, I noticed that when I think about Russia, I don't think about it at all as us or we were. I think it's as them. I I mean, I've been here for 20 years, and Mm -hmm. for me... I want to specify, I think of this as my home, and I just happen to know a lot about Russia, and, yes. but I don't have any affiliation or feeling of belonging. In fact, I have the feeling of being alienated, and I had it all alone there growing up yes. uh, as a minority. So... Um, here, coming back to home, to America, why are we talking about this at all? Why can't we talk about novels or poetry? Yeah, or interesting, good things that I actually love. Puppies, even. You know. uh, yeah, puppies <laughs> sure. would be good. Yeah. Well, uh, at the moment, this seems to be important in order to be able to continue to read novels and, you know, yes. pet parties, uh, puppies, because. Here's what I want to say. Yeah. I've started to see the signs of uh, Putin's ambitions regarding America as early as two, 2014. Oof. And I, just very, very briefly, I was completely apolitical until 2012. I never voted in my life in any country. Mm. I wasn't following. I never watched news. I got this disgust and distaste for it growing up in the Soviet Union and did beautifully until 2012. When... Um, Pussy Riot were uh, incarcerated and there was a trial and that's how it all started for me. Yes, you remember, right? Yes. Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, and so then I started to follow up and that's what I was starting to to notice, the signs of Putin's extreme interest in America and not just as an external enemy and scapegoat uh, to put kind of like as a target for Russian people for something to get angry about, you you know, aside from Ukraine and Syria. Um, but he certainly showed some signs of ambitions about 
getting here in some ways, yes. some indirect way. So I spotted this uh, article in 2014 on RT, which is formerly known as Russia Today and has huh. recently been registered as the foreign agent and agent of propaganda here in the United States. And the article is U.S. would benefit from such a president as Putin, no. Russia's arms <laughs> chief. Oh. And then uh, one of the spin doctors uh, wrote that Vladimir Putin's ability to understand the business of the military-industrial complex and give detailed instruction on its work could help to improve life in the USA. And that is said by the Russia's deputy uh, prime minister in 2014. Uh, so ever since then, I was kind of a little bit on alert. Like, yes. Let's see what happens. And sure enough... Since started to happen. As of 2017, the, the uh, geopolitical ambition became more and more clear because uh, uh, first uh, Russia invaded uh, Crimea in eastern Ukraine, yes. started the war there. And then started the war in Syria. Uh, and it became very clear that the short-term goal was to stop the economic sanctions that were imposed on Russia after invading Ukraine mm -hmm. in 2014. And also to have un the United States leave NATO and basically disassemble NATO, weaken uh, NATO in order to get a more favorable position in Europe back home. But also there is the ultimate goal, which is to weaken the US overall throughout the internal conflicts, through schism and dissolution, kind of Brexit style. Mm -hmm. and, and that's what we've experienced right yeah. before Trump's election, yeah. Brexit, which came as a complete surprise. And I have family in the UK and mm -hmm. I travel there quite often. Yeah. Mm, so I was there a week after Brexit. And I was reporting from the um, the demonstration, from the protest, and I've never in my life, and I've been to a lot of protests lately, yeah. I've never seen people that shocked. Mm. There were several hundred thousands, they were just flowing by me, going on and on and on in the rain, and sometimes people were singing, but most of the time they were silent, yeah. and there was this confusion and disbelief in their faces and eyes. I took a lot of photographs, I have a photo reportage online, and uh, by now we know that the Russian propaganda machine was working very actively yeah. on promoting Brexit. And at the, huh. at the time, nobody realized that. People were not paying attention. I see. And they very easily managed to uh, achieve their goal. Yeah. And from there, they proceeded for their goal, which yeah. we are, the yeah. results we're experiencing yeah. right now. Yeah, it makes sense. So the EU would not be as strong. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So basically, it's not necessarily to be in charge and rule the yeah. United States. There it's is not like the Reich. Yeah. No, no. no. That's too much of a, of a task. Russia is a huge country. It's the biggest country in the world. They already mm -hmm. have a lot of problems. Yes. They don't want to necessarily sit in the White House and decide all our problems. No. They, we have our, we have our yeah, own problems. Yeah. So what yeah. they want is to weaken us uh -huh. through, and this brings us to the number one lesson that you need to take home from this whole talk and that's what I was telling in yes. school today the number one goal of propaganda combat propaganda space propaganda is the demoralization mm -hmm. of the population and army of the enemy yeah demoralization which leads to weakening 
Yeah. It's a pretty simple concept. In a way, it's quite an ingenious concept. Mm-hmm. So this is the main goal of cyber war, psychological war, psycho op, whatever you choose to call it. If you have to remember one word from everything we said today, it would be demoralization. Mm. And that's that helps you to understand the whole effort of everything that we have been experiencing globally throughout the last three or four years. We are being demoralized by the army, invisible army of the country who believes it is in war with us. Mm -hmm. And we blindly do not recognize it. Because you ask the majority of Americans, they wouldn't recognize Russia as the enemy, maybe adversary, maybe, you know, there will be some language there. But nobody understands or recognizes that we are in the middle of the information war, which is just as much as war as any war. It's a hybrid war. Yes. This is something just to take a second, breathe in, breathe out, information war, demoralization. Mm-hmm. Have you have you felt demoralized at all in the last year? I grew up in America. I feel demoralized every day of my life. <laughs> and again, this is what's beautiful about America, right? For, for me, having arrived here after yes. Russia, because we can all feel in a different way. You could have been demoralized. I was excited about mm-hmm. the new opportunities. Olga, I don't know what you felt, but you probably experienced your whole personal yeah. you know, I've been life. here since I was almost five. Yeah, and so everybody is free to feel the way they do or say the way they do. You feel this way, Roman? You talk about it on the radio. Yes. Although there is like, I mean, there's privileges though. There's class sure. privilege, there's race oh, privilege. Yeah. There's, you know, like, but but you're, yeah. you're not going to have, you're not going to have the secret police show up right now. You know, like probably not. Uh, unlike. Yeah. <laughs> it, it is yeah. perfectly imperfect. Right. And we, we can experience, or at least until now, we were mm-hmm. free to experience our difficulties, agree, disagree, yes. yeah. and have a conversation, privileges included. And you know, like, I'm, I'm a human rights lawyer. Like I, I said, I, I've fo- my focus has been on immigration prisons and torture inside immigration prisons. Mm-hmm. And that was mostly under Obama. You know, I did yeah. year, oh, yeah. years of that work under Obama. Yep. So, like, I was yeah. under no illusion yes. about, about things things being great but it's important it's important to not have the feeling of like oh things are already shit like things are already total shit so it doesn't matter like oh you know, things can so, definitely get so worse. it's it's very yeah. important to like maintain that sense of that sense of perspective and the, like maintain of like notice how things are getting worse. Yes. Like notice oh, yes. the ways that things are getting worse. Yes. Because yes. they want us to stay in this kind of like hopelessness. Mm-hmm. You know, it's important to like be like, oh, this is a good thing and this is a bad thing. You know, mm-hmm. like to, to notice those those differences. And to also pay attention to nuances, because whenever we go into this bipolar or double, you know, yeah, polarization of the world, it also kind of plays into their hands, because it leads uh, us to the next step on the goal of propaganda. Demoralization is achieved through planting discord. Mm -hmm. So everything, if everything is painted as black and white, if you decide to sympathize with Communist Party, and I decide to sympathize with something on the other end, which is pretty unlikely, I mean, but or, or just be completely apolitical, yes. we, we 
want to maintain our friendship outside of it. We want to continue uh, look at all the nuanced picture rather than being you are my enemy. We yes. can't talk anymore. Yes, and this yes. is what is happening in the society a lot during this last year. And this is what yes. is not yes. actually typical to the American uh, discourse. Yeah. The pluralism it is slowly going and they just that is to me is the result of effectively working propaganda machine mm -hmm. so uh so to bring like a like a very practical example mm -hmm. so uh, as i've been building the anti-trump soviet immigrant facebook group <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, by the way any anti-trump soviet immigrants listening please find us you are free to join <laughs> we, we, we have a whole community uh so uh you know, I come from like a very radical political background. I've been doing this like, you know, very intense anti-deportation work for a while. Uh, but for me, going into this, I was like, I'm doing the most grassroots possible organizing, politicization 101, building a big tent. You know, so really having an intentional yes. big tent view. Yes. I don't expect people to come into the group. I don't expect anti-Trump Soviet immigrants who are also prison abolitionists and don't believe in borders and blah, 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 blah. You know, like yeah. that, that'll be just me and maybe three other people and we're going to get nothing done. You know, mm -hmm. I'm like, right now we are in a moment of existential crisis. I think that that's important to like, that's my perspective as I really feel like we might all die. You know, yeah. like, yeah. and, and in, in like a near term kind of thing, yes. you know, like, uh, you know, my, I, I have many generations of extreme trauma yeah. of like barely surviving genocide, you yes. know, like the barely surviving mass killings. Yes. So I don't intend to die and I'm trying not to do, or at least in, you know, in the short term. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, so for me right now is a time where I'm like, you know, like we can, we can like figure out all the other shit that like we can really battle it out over the, thi over things later right 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 now yeah like right now in this moment of like extreme existential uh peril uh we need to do what we can to prevent like the total collapse of the of rule of law you know the total collapse of like basic checks and balances you know i have plenty of criticisms of u.s institutions yes. and the judiciary system yes, blah, blah. Yes, yes. but like you know i was at the airports during during the travel ban and i saw people not being let back in who had green cards who had been here for 20 years yeah. just because they were born in iran yeah. and i have a friend who is a u.s citizen who because her passport says born in iran almost wasn't able to come back they questioned her for two hours and asked her why were you born in iran ah! <laughs> yeah so that's i think it's really key to bring it back to like yeah. that's where we're at right. that's the moment that we're in yeah. so like i can think that you have really horrible views on certain things and really mm -hmm. disagree with you but right now my my key like i'm doing a broad-based kind of thing to just like prevent yes. yeah. the total deterioration of everything yes. to prevent like nazi death squads i'm yeah. trying to prevent nazi death squads yeah so like it's about having being like it doesn't mean that like oh we can be friends well i'm like i don't have to be friends with you right i just want to i just like what is our goal right now yeah. Yeah. are we in crisis mode we yes. aren't like if if we agree we're in crisis mode how can we work together yes. on our main key goals yes. which are like preventing the total collapse of this country yes. and to like i don't want us to be a putin puppet state uh that is full of like you know like 
white supremacist violence so or and or nuclear holocaust i don't want any of those things so how can we if we have those shared goals yes. how can we work toward those shared goals yes. and then i'm happy to fight about other things later yes, and that doesn't yes. mean that we can't like you know there's we we can you know walk and chew gum at the same time but like in terms of as we're thinking about like yeah. who we're willing to work with and what we're willing to do that's kind of been in the key front of yes, my mind yes and what the propagandists are doing and the trolls specifically is the opposite you know so they're trying to they're trying to create that kind of tension so like a really key thing is you know the soviet immigrant community is uh largely jewish refugees like me mm-hmm. and we have of just like the Jewish community in general, a very wide range of opinions on Israel and yes, Zionism. Yes, we do. So, yes. in my group, we have a very strict rule, and that is absolutely no discussion of Israel or Zionism. Hmm. Just like, no, we're not going to argue about Israel. I was like, this is not Soviet immigrants yelling at each other about Israel on the internet. Like, yes. There's plenty of that. If you want to yell about each about Israel on the internet, there's lots of places you can go. Yeah. But right now, we're talking about this country that we live in right now and the existential peril that we face, especially as Jewish refugees who already have experienced running the fuck away from yeah. anti-Semitism before. It's like, let's focus on what we have now. Mm-hmm. So that's been like a key thing. And then people, you know, people will try to like have flame wars. And I'm like, uh-uh. I'm like, flame wars are like, that. that is serving no one. Sure. All that serves is division and bullshit and wasting energy. Yeah. So I think for anyone doing, that's my that's my personal tip. Yes. Uh, as someone who has been organizing Soviet immigrants, and we are not an easy people. You know, we are we we are not a, a mild mannered, <laughs> chill people. Yeah. Uh, being able to organize such a large group of people has been really being like, what is the point? Like keeping the point in mind yeah. and being like, flame wars do not serve the point. Yes. You know, it does nothing useful for anyone. So if you're actually yeah. trying to do political organizing and really doing like yes. base building, no bullshit fighting over over th- even things that we feel very strongly about. Yeah. That that like we have very strong opinions and beliefs about. Yeah. Is like what what is the point of this right now? And so you have to decide: is this a deal breaker or not? Yeah. And if it's not 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 everything can be a deal breaker, right? You know? And that's kind of like why the left is where the left is at: is that there's so much infighting that we can't get anything done. And this brings us back to the whole propagandist agenda and the main goal of uh, combat propaganda, mm-hmm. which, as you know by now, demoralization or weakening of the enemy by planting discord. And this, um, the whole uh, Soviet anti, former Soviet anti-Trump, is just one group and one illustration or an mm-hmm. example. Mm-hmm. And I can give you plenty of other examples. I won't give plenty, but I'll just mention one or two. Yes. Um, so... Um, planting discord and con- uh, uh, bringing two groups together in a conflict could apply to any groups, say men and women. This is more, you know, like maybe you don't know anybody Jewish, you don't know anybody Soviet. This is whole thing is foreign to you and mm-hmm. it's perfectly fine. But you probably know somebody of another gender. Mm-hmm. You, 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 you might, yeah. you, you, you know. And that the whole thing, and this is a very painful topic. This is a very, um, and that it is meant to be painful. It is meant to be personal. And it will be hard to listen maybe for some people to what I'm going to say now. So I'm going to bring it very carefully and with all due respect to everyone involved into that. But all the recent sexual scandals of the recent time, um, let me put it very carefully here. They are real. 
they are happening. All their persecution, uh, inequality, and sexual harassment are real. They are happening. The feelings that we have about it, uh, women who were victimized or men who feel unnecessarily blamed for that, or anyone who feels in any way alienated or pained in Mm -hmm. the process, all these feelings are real. I have my own feelings about it. I've been writing about this topic way before it all happened because right now it's experienced in a way as a trend. But my first book came out in 2014 and it had rape in it. Uh, I mean, it's a short story collection, but still, I mean, and other people have been talking about it throughout the years. I mean, it's a constant present conflict or problem, if you will, that we have in the society, in any society, American, Russian, I mean, Nicaragua, Africa, you know, you name it, it's just a, a common human problem. But what the propagandist does, he or she takes this problem or the existing conflict mm-hmm. and uses it, manipulates it, and does his or her machinations using it in their goal. And the goal is to plant discord Mm -hmm. so and then there's a more practical application of that so now as everybody is inflamed and angered Mm -hmm. and is relieving their emotions and some people are triggered or some people feeling defensive yes uh, no matter what you're feeling is most likely you you're feeling something about it or you're just feeling that it's an annoyance and you don't want to be hearing about it there's some feeling that you are experiencing and it's your own emotion and that is what being used uh while people are distracted by these feelings um they're uh the, the people who are being removed from their uh, power position yeah. could be, you know, described as bad and good, depending on where you're standing. Even if you are a Trump supporter, say, uh, you, you experience some people as bad or good or somebody on your side, right? Uh, and I'm talking about all people now. As this wave of removal is going on, the propagandist, or the, in our case, the Kremlin machine, will use it to remove people that they don't want. Mm-hmm. So in the process, they will take off or behead other people and their allies as well, because they don't care. We already said it's a very bland machine. Mm-hmm. It doesn't experience any emotions. It doesn't have friends. It doesn't have... You can't be really a part of it at all times. If it decides to get rid of it, of you, it will get rid of you or of someone. So in a process to make it seem very real and very natural, it will be taking other people. And we've experienced it throughout the history. Again, the Stalinist purges, or in Hitler, like everybody is going, you know, people are being wiped out. And in the process, the enemies are being taken away too as a process. And you see, Plus, the society is being divided because divide and conquer is yeah. another number one principle yes, here. Yes. So while we are arguing and screaming at each other 
and proven our points of women being victims or men being villainized or whatever it is we are experiencing, we are being manipulated. And it's becoming even more difficult because it's all happening on physiological level. Like you're experiencing stress, you're experiencing um, the surge of blood. You, you, I mean, blood tr- I mean, pressure P- I mean, PTSD. For example, like PTSD is an inherently physiological experience. Yeah, you know, yes. I'm, yes. I'm someone like I have PTSD. Yeah, I take a lot of medication. Yeah. You know, yeah. and so like being triggered is almost entirely a physiological experience. So it's basically, uh, you know, so so again, it's. It's about holding both things to be true, that both sexual violence is very real, as we know personally way too well, Yes. and also that our own uh, trauma and our own PTSD and our own triggers are being weaponized on purpose you know Mm -hmm. so like we're like we're being played you know so so we're being triggered so like so for example like there's uh there's like uh websites that monitor like known known uh, like kremlin or known kremlin (laughs) trolls known kremlin trolls and uh they follow like what hashtags they're doing what topics they're they're tweeting about and you see them choose like every everything that's at all causing causing scandal anything that's at all you know like controversial and they've been really jumping on the sexual violence stuff so like for me personally um i noticed the way that that me and also like a lot of people that i know who are you know like activists who are very active and involved have just been like wiped out recently you know where like my depression has been so much worse than usual Mm -hmm. it's just been like so much harder to function and i was like what the fuck like why is it so much harder like recently i'm like i've been i've been dealing with like i've been fighting nazis i've been doing all this stuff and like it's been much worse than usual and i realized that like the sexual violence stuff was just taking it over the edge for me yeah and i know like I, i saw so many other people talking about that and i was like i was like oh like this is just too much because it's like you know we also uh, because of our trauma we we end up like compulsively consuming more information yes. about like each yes. thing so i just yes. realized i was like i was like i can't read about this anymore i was like i'm not i can't fight about this i'm like i'm not a comp i'm personally not accomplishing anything by this mm-hmm. other than making myself non-functional yeah. and i was like and if i'm not functional who is that helping that's helping no one right, right. so it's about doing being like aware of how like our very real experiences are being played against us yeah. and like protecting ourselves in those ways so if like you can't get out of bed because the sexual violence stuff is too much yep. stop consuming that media like yeah. y- the world is going to go on without you reading those stories yeah yeah oxygen mask <laughs> yeah know? yeah and that takes us to the whole next level of undoing. How do you confront propaganda, right? This, the, what, what Olga is saying is a one way of just um, like detaching yourself and that, that's an emergency situation. But that's, on the other hand, what they want us to do. Mm-hmm. They want us being detached. They want us demoralized and out of the process. On the other hand, um, in the midst of experiencing this acute um, emotions, this, this this stress and this uh, conflict that uh, the real conflict that you have inside, um, it's very hard for you 
to listen to anyone, say me at the time, telling you that you are being used. Yeah. Because on a physiological level, you will reject it. Yes. So yeah. I'm sure a lot of people listening to me now saying, there's no way I was abused or I was harassed or I experienced it. I'm having this PTSD. You don't tell me what I feel. I had these people telling this mm -hmm. to me and I expected this reaction because that is the difficulty with propaganda. Yeah. It's meant to be that way. Yes. What's the the damage that is done on this um, subliminal, subconscious level, read physiological, cannot be done on the intellectual level, on the logical level. So I cannot reach to you right now and tell you, stop feeling this way or not. And I don't want to. It wouldn't be fair. Right. And y y you most likely would be close to it. To, to my or anybody else's argument, and you will keep experiencing what you're experiencing. And th this leads us to this seemingly unsolvable situation where 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 do you take it from there well there there are ways to manage it obviously whatever is done can be undone but usually it takes a much longer time and a much better understanding fundamentally mm -hmm. on what is going on this is our step number one and again we we had two examples the soviet jewish immigrants women and men yeah. i can give you many other examples because there will be some people who are unaffected by the sexual violence and harassment or Soviet immigrants, but this is happening on every level. The racial problems, for example, uh, say Black Lives Matters, have been used and abused by the Kremlin trolls. Yeah, so like the, there's there's proof that you know Kremlin trolls were setting up fake black activist profiles and doing like, and like there was I think it was late recent just recently had an article mm -hmm. about like a look, clearly like Russia based fake like black the black activism group that was stealing events like they had a calendar of uh -huh. events uh, for their like fake troll thing and uh -huh. they were stealing events from real groups and put like copy pasting them onto their calendar and then when the groups would be like contacted like a like a local community group black community group in uh houston like their event was posted on there and they were like what yeah. the hell we have nothing to do with this yes. so it's like they're they're doing the thing where it's like most of it looks real yeah. and then the 40% is like batshit crazy stuff in order to cause strike uh, you know so it's like so they will they are happy to weaponize everything you yeah. know like literally anything uh -huh. any anything in which they can try to cause drama mm -hmm. and again that doesn't mean that the things that they're weaponizing are not real or mm -hmm. not true or not important or mm -hmm. not vital it's that they're taking the things that are are most yeah. are most vital taking causes that are very real and important and playing us mm -hmm. you know and that's exactly what is written in the manuals i actually managed to get one unclassified manual in russian online and translate it and I use it in the course so uh, if you happen to be present at one of our live events or later watch the video uh, that's included in the presentation uh, there the uh, ethnic uh, features and characteristics of every group and their long lease for everyone and they're also incitement of social and religious conflict per area so for Americans they will have a number of scenes that will be on the list of trolls to target so they there will be, say, uh, Masha Ivanova, who is working on Black Lives Matter. There will be Sasha Ivanov, who is working on anti-Black uh, uh, Lives Matter, on the uh -huh. Confederate flags and stuff. Um, they would be targeting
interesting that the list of the topics, and that's not complete, but on the top of it, anti-Semitism, anti-Muslim, pro-Israeli sentiment, feminism, homophobia, millennials versus baby boomers, gender war, and very importantly, free speech. And mm-hmm. you know how important that has been and how yeah. how inflamed the society has been about yes, that? Yes. And um, the gun the the, the 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 gun ownership uh, because yeah. they, they so what they take they take and that's uh, pertains to any nation they they are not necessarily dedicated to america you know they were working on the uk before yes. they switched to france to Trump. Uh, germany so they were given a list of things for each character and mm-hmm. i actually have the list of ethno psychological characteristics from the manual so americans just you know for fun mm-hmm. Let's hear who we are. So as Americans, we have entrepreneurial spirit, uh, practicality, energetic, lively, positive attitude, openness to experiment and risk, inventiveness, independence, preference for standardization and labels. And then it goes into negative kind of part of our psyche, national psyche, simple heartedness and gullibility, love of sport, Lack of discipline, yeah. rudeness and bragging. Yeah, we're good at that. Arrogance. Yeah. Arrogance in communication with representatives of other ethnic communities. Absolutely. Does that remind you of anyone also, by the way, the, the, the last you just left? I can't, <laughs> can't place it. Who's, who's like really into bragging? But, yeah. Like talking about the best, best yeah. ever. Yeah. But, uh, you know, the, it, it's not specific. The thing is like, they are not offending anyone. They are not racist. The groups, I, I have the list like this for Jews, Italians, Spaniards, Russians, Ukrainians, say, Jews on the you know on the better side have diligence, perseverance, persistent pursuit of the goals set <laughs> in the activities, vigor, purposefulness. But then there's a long list of good things and a long <laughs> list of bad things. Inability to think abstractedly and constrained imagination, for example, which was surprising. Uh, huh. Weak intellectual mobility and ingenuity. Huh. And some things are really like surprising. And they, they have the list for Japanese, for Chinese, you name it. They want and to play everyone. So yeah. whoever, whatever the troll propagandist is assigned the nation will be studying it and applying that. So every nation will get specific conflicts. As you could see, what we are having here with sexual conflicts is not new. Hello, Bill Clinton. And, you know, like there's Thank a long history of it. On the other hand, they will not be using that in France because in France, nobody cares. It doesn't bother anyone. Yeah. Yeah. So in France, they will have other topics they will focus on. Uh-huh. And th- this is like crucial to understand. Well, like in, in, in Spain with Catalonia. Yeah, you know, yes, which yes. obviously the Catalonian yes. independent, the Catalan independence movement has been going on for forever, and like they have very real grievances, and they are also, you know, also the Kremlin loves it and is playing it real hard. Yeah, I actually have again for the presentation, I have the meddling per country, and I have two big slides on Catalonia, on the recent research on what has been done, mm-hmm. and what the. 
see the European countries are a little bit more in tune and they're closer to the to the you know to the center to the epicenter of this whole catastrophe so they have better developed techniques to confront it and so I, I have the whole you know too long list of what people are uh, intending to do in Catalonia to confront Russians countering disinformation in the UK and recently Theresa May just say we know what you're doing and we will not let you do it well easily said that done I, I, I mean good luck and I'm in full support that's why we're doing it hey Theresa May if you're listening <laughs> yeah Theresa May is actually an avid <laughs> listener of the show yeah <laughs> please I didn't know you had a Tory yeah. following <laughs> yeah huge and this is the same we have um, the, the list for France for Germany they are very good and proficient Germany Actually, the Germans got it this time. They they really they had a they learned their lesson. Uh-huh. They are trying very hard. You know who is really good? Finland and mm. Estonia. Why? Because we Finland like, well, Finland's right next. Yeah. is four we, hours away from plus, St. Petersburg. Plus, yeah. plus there was a war with Finland, you know? Yeah, yes. they are really affected. Yeah, yeah, they are yeah. really affected. And there are all these cyber interferences and cyber attacks. So these people really have to protect themselves. Estonia is fantastic at that. So mm-hmm. we should really learn from the small, you know, like yes. all this arrogance. Yes, that, yes. That, you know, according to the trolls, we should like put it in our side pocket and listen to these countries next to the... To, to Mordor and yes. learn from them. So also, I mean, so I, I had been on the board for three years, the board of directors of the ACLU of Northern California. Mm-hmm. And I had loved it. I, I really do like the executive director of our, our local branch. But after after Charlottesville happened, uh, so the, the ACLU of Virginia had represented the, the Nazis in Charlottesville to, to because they had had their permit denied. Yeah. And so it was, I had a really bad day. <laughs> um, sure. So uh, the, the day that Charlottesville happened, I wake up in the morning and I'm like scrolling through my phone in bed still. And I see that I'd seen the tiki torches the night before. And yes. I've been like, oh, and I see that that morning and, and I'm, I'm, I'm scrolling in bed and I see that the, the ACLU had represented them. And I'm I'm on the board of of our of our you know NorCal affiliate. Yes, yes. And this was the day of my birthday picnic. Oh so no! So my birthday picnic was ruined. I spent I spent all day long texting, emailing, calling, threatening to quit. You know. Yeah. To, during my birthday picnic. Oh yeah. I'm and again. I am a Jewish refugee. I was hidden from threatened pogroms as a child. This is why I do my work. This is why I'm on the. Uh, this is why I was on the ACLU board. Yeah. And I'm like, we can't funnel money that's been raised for the resistance. Yep. Into into neo-Nazi yep. legal defense. Like, yes. Plus, yes. there's a very large difference between people like Westboro. We're just like it's a sad little cult, you know. They hold up their like you know mean signs, but they're not trying to organize anything. It's just mean, you know. It's just like they're just trying to say their pathetic stuff and protest but, funerals. Yes, but again, but it's mean. But they're not trying to do political organizing. Mm-hmm. They're not building anything. They're just like they're. It's just like one family, you know, like one extended family. Meanwhile, the Nazis, when they have their rallies, mm-hmm. they're very specifically having paramilitary exercises. Yeah, you know, they're very specifically building politically, and the point is ethnic cleansing. Yeah. You know, the point is genocide. That's the point. That's what they're saying. The point is. So there's a very big difference. Like organizing genocide that is not that is not just like 
you know, holding up a sign that mm-hmm. says God hates you. That, yeah. That's a very different thing. So I think, so for me, that's what I kept saying. And I, I sent all of Zarina's writing to the ACLU leadership. Yeah. I was just like, guys, I'm like, you have to, you can't just think about it in this like right, really, right. really flat, you know, unnuanced kind of yeah. way. The stereotypes of Americans <laughs> that, that they said, you can't think about it in this black and white, really like easy yeah. way. I'm that's like, ignoring the power dynamic. Yeah. And you're like, you're, you're just like, are you being played? That's yeah. the question to always ask. Like, are you being played? And yeah. if, and if yes, like, what are you doing? Yes. And it's like, and so for me, I, I ended up after about a month of really, really trying hard of the inside game. I quit. I did a public resignation for letter yeah. because I was just like, I'm like in the, I, my existence is a miracle, you know, like in my grandfather's village when he was a child, luckily, um, he, he was evacuated along with his family right after the Nazi invasion in Belarus because, uh, my 